if, if a casual observer looked in on your life, it would appear that you've kind of just built this lifestyle where you can just enjoy your hobby all the time. Doesn't really tell the story of the work that you're doing in the background and the work that you did learning how to do the work you do now and building up what you got and stuff like that. So that's really what I want to talk about. Yeah, you know, it's a long journey. I'm not there yet. And uh, although I think this year I'm doing 24 weekends of different events, which is uh, it's a first for me. I've never done that many. However, I'm not riding all of them. I'm getting paid to work others. So I, I'm finding other ways to be at the racetrack. And I'll, unfortunately, I'm not riding or driving the, at some of these events, but I get to be there. You get to help out riders in the case of corner working um, for, for race control and flagging and communications. It's, it's really cool. Uh, that's what I'm doing this coming weekend. Uh, I'm going to be going to the track and helping out at Pittsburgh uh, for the pro event for Moto America. And, uh, and they pay you to do, to do that. So it's, it's awesome. You get to be at a pro event, watch the races and uh, help fallen riders sometimes or mechanicals, whatever happens, sometimes repairing air fences. I did that already um, at Road America. So it's pretty cool to, uh, to do that kind of stuff and help out. And the riders really appreciate it. Um, it's not a job to be taken lightly. Um, you know, there was a, a corner worker who unfortunately passed away in the UK recently um, in a car race. And he was a veteran of the corner working. It wasn't his first time. That's uh, a little frightening, but um, mm -hmm. you have to be aware of what's going on and try to be as safe as possible. Yeah, over the years, um, a handful of corner workers that I sort of, sort of knew, maybe didn't really know all that well, unfortunately, have lost their lives or been badly injured, and um, it's a very serious business doing that work for both you keeping yourself protected and for your ability to respond appropriately and potentially be the difference between an injured person surviving or not. Yeah, definitely. But going back to what you said, there's, there's something uh, that I think most people would wonder first when they hear 24 weekends, they would think, isn't your wife gonna murder you? I'm single. So um, that's a huge, luxury um to be able to do a lot of that stuff is to be single for me i'll do some you know typically for a lot of years i'll do i'll run at that pace i'll have like half of the weekends of the year where i'm doing stuff pursuing my sport whether it was my time in motorcycles or now racing bicycles um it's something that <clears throat> i think people don't think about when they choose their partner sometimes sort of like either A, this is what I've been doing and I want to keep doing this, are you in? Or B, this is what I'm aspiring to do. I want to be like Eric someday and I'm working on it and I plan to have this in my future. Are you going to be in on that? Yeah, it's something that uh, you have to be along for the ride. Uh, I did have a long-term girlfriend when I was doing this. Uh, we lived together for like three and a half years and she said one time, you know, I love you, but sometimes I love when you go away for the weekends because I get my own time. I get to do whatever I want, get to hang out at the house, yep. friends, and that's fine. That's not um, a bad thing. It's okay to have time apart, and I think sometimes it can be healthy for a relationship. Yeah, I totally agree, and um, all that stuff is just important to establish because <clears throat> what happens is that people end up feeling trapped otherwise where they're like, well, I always had in my head that I wanted to be like Eric and spend every other weekend out doing motorcycle related stuff, but they maybe didn't express that or whatever the case is. And so it's interesting to think about how people interact with time. I'm curious if you've noticed this. People will say to me, you know, for me right now, I typically spend seven hours a week training on my bike, which takes me about five days a week to do, and sometimes seven days a week. And that's on top of like anything else like, normal going to the gym or normal, any other hobby, anything else. That's on top of everything else. Plus my job, being a dad, being a husband. Um, people are like, I could never do that. I don't have time for that. But people don't prioritize it. Um, have you noticed that people have time, but they don't, they want to do what you do, but they're not willing to invest the time? How's that work? Oh yeah, it's huge. Um, it's, it's a different level when you run a business, when you try to raise when you have uh, a normal day job, you have a weekly podcast, you invest your money on the side, you have two roommates, 
And uh, I'm looking at uh, getting into tire vending next year, but also, you know, I'm corner working now. So it's like a whole mm -hmm. bunch of things. Um, and then I'm trying to, you know, get in the dating world still. And I'm talking to this girl over here and she says, oh, I don't have time to, to work out. So well, what do you do when you get home from work? You got another like six hours there, right? Or however much. It's, it's quite a bit. Even with getting eight hours of sleep, you can do a lot. Mm -hmm. You just can't get, go home and get horizontal, lay down or watch TV. Now, maybe you can do that for 10 minutes a day, but not um, four hours a day. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of people waste their time now is technology. It's such a luxury, but it's like, oh, am I going to go outside and do something active or am I going to watch TV and eat something, eat some snacks, because that's just the easy thing to do. You know, we have uh, all these luxuries with technology that you didn't have a hundred years ago. And I, I don't think a lot of people know how to use it, myself included. Um, I should be outside way more than I am. Um, but uh, it just sucks you in sometimes. So you said a hundred years ago, but... Um, Not that long ago. <laughs> I might be a little older than you because I'm like, you mean in my youth? <laughs> like we didn't have any of that stuff in my youth. We use the old, you know, come home when the streetlights come on method. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about how nowadays we are all extremely reliant on technology for our knowledge, our entertainment and so on. And I'm a huge fan of technology. I love it. Um, but it, it can be all consuming at times where, you know, thank goodness we have this thing. I don't know if you have an iPhone or if Android does this too, but that thing that tells you like how much screen time you've been doing and you get depressed oh. when you see that large number sometimes. Yeah. So you said you're dating and you live in a small town. Um, what's that like? Like, you know, small town dating. And also, by the way, I love to hang out, but I'm going to be gone every other weekend. Yeah, it's like uh, sometimes it's okay if you kind of establish a relationship with girls. You know, Cole and this one girl would see each other once a week. She lived uh, in a different city than me. It wasn't like uh, she was the girl next door. So we had to drive to see each other and we both work a lot. Um, so it was just kind of a once or maybe twice a week thing for, for a while. Um, so it can't be every single day. I only have a couple of days I can spend a couple hours with you. Like it's, it's pretty tough because I work all of the time that I have pretty much. And when I'm not working, I'm like editing podcasts or like watching a race or something. So it's like most of my time is dedicated towards this uh, endeavor. And I love it because this is something that I enjoy to do. My dad was saying, oh, you're going to overextend yourself doing all these events. And I said, well, it's not, it doesn't feel like work. It's like I get to go to a mini vacation and get paid to do it. Uh, it's, it's like the greatest job in the world. Now, I wish you got paid a little bit more, but um, it's still, it's, it's good for now. And uh, I'm just learning something different. Well, you brought something up that I have thought about a lot and I've <clears throat> lived through. And now maybe I've gotten to the age where I share this advice with others. You have to be very careful with the advice of people that love you. Yeah. For because sure. while they're looking out for your best interests, they might make you doubt yourself at times and say like, you know what? Don't quit your job and start your own thing. You know, maybe don't start working, uh, doing corner work as well. Maybe, maybe don't race, maybe don't. And you could accidentally end up in a situation where you have things that you wish you had done. And you allowed somebody to talk you out of those things because they were giving you good advice from a perspective of someone who cares about you, but also accidentally making you diminish your dreams and doubt yourself. Yeah. I had to say one time to my mom, she was very supportive of me, but she's concerned, you know, only 3% of businesses make it past five years or whatever this statistic is. Yep. Um, and uh, I said, mom, I'm not asking for your uh, support. I'm asking, you know, I'm not asking for your opinion, but please support me is, is what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard sometimes when there are so many um, uphill battles and, and struggles that they don't want to see you go through, but I don't want to just be working the nine to five because if you want to race, uh, it's very unlikely, unless you're a, a master engineer or something, a master in whatever your trade is, um, it's very hard to pay for professional motorsports on a, on a regular salary. You need several salaries. 
Well, on top of that, you bring up another thing too. And I, I look back to my time racing bikes and I felt like I typically had a huge competitive advantage over people who were even way more talented riders than me because I spent more time riding than like anybody with my um, amazing relationship that I had with Motovid and a handful of organizations that let me just have access to incredible amounts of track time and then being able to have the flexibility of my work life so that I could like if I'm racing on Saturday you know I'm racing against somebody who might just show up on Saturday and roll in and race against me and I'm like well I've been here since Wednesday I had the track to myself on Wednesday with two other guys and then we did some track time on Thursday and then I did some practice on Friday and I have all these laps here and I know exactly what I'm going to be able to do and you're just rolling in hoping for the best good luck to you even if you're a better rider than me good luck and having the the time to do the stuff is <clears throat> is critical because all the stuff that you do if you want to get good at it like doing your podcast takes time you got to have that time available and you have to choose that it's important to you so for you you balance a lot of different stuff let's start talking about some of the things that you do so right now um i have a roommate moving out today is his last day um he is just moving for work trying to find a better location he was here for about 10 months um, and I just got off the phone with a guy who already filled out the credit and background check. Um, and he's going to be coming on Monday. He was going to come over the weekend, but I'll be gone in Pittsburgh. So we, we settled on Monday to, uh, to have him show the place. And he says he's going to come with cash in his hand. And with security deposit, first month's rent, and a small cleaning fee, he's already paid the application fee online. And um, he wants to sign at least a six-month lease. So six months times $750 is uh, a lot of money for just me renting out an extra spare room in my house. Um, and I've been doing this for like the past 10 years and just trying to, I have two rooms here and just living in the basement, trying to uh, maximize the space, living in my business and uh, wake up and, and there's a business, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's not a whole lot of lag time between me going over to the computer in the morning sometimes. And uh, I think that's, can be um, too much, you know, when you live inside it. I wish it was sometimes farther away, but it, at some aspects of it, um, makes me work more, makes me more motivated because it's right in front of me. Talk to me about the business. So the business, um, I do a lot of uh, selling parts online and ESR, ericswanracing.com. I have access to about 28 brands through seven or eight different vendors. And we do drop shipping, so we just we sell a lot of race parts. We sell motorcycle parts, sport bike stuff, hard parts. Uh, we do have some takeoff tires still available. And uh, just trying to get into more brands all the time. And we're listing new products as much as we can. Uh, things that are selling a lot right now are driven racing. Uh, they have a lot of uh, chains and sprockets, you know, gas caps and hard parts. And uh, M4 performance exhausts have always been selling well. And uh, we have other exhaust brands as well, like Spark Italian Exhaust, Akrapovic, uh, Slovenian, and uh, the, the uh, Spark Italian and Carbon, as well as car exhaust. So I'm trying to get into car parts too. Um, you know, I don't want to have a slow season. Motorcycles, motorsports is typically in the summer, but globally, we can still sell, you know, in uh, Australia and Japan and China. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool to be a global company out of my basement. Um, so I'm doing that. And I got one full-time worker. I'd really like to hire a second one. Um, the full-time worker right now is working on just creating new listings all day. It's all he does is make, making new product listings for the parts we have access to that aren't listed for sale yet. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. And the second person I want to hire to cover my daily operations so that um, I can go to all these events sometimes midweek. I mean, there's track days you can go to every day of the week, just like you're saying, you're at a one on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the races. It happens all the time. And they need corner workers for every event. And some are paid um, to go to those instead of the volunteers I recommend. Um, and, uh, you know, I could be doing that and not have to work on my business um, during the day and actually shipping orders. So. I'm trying to get some more things off my plate, like editing podcasts would be the next thing to uh, for me to not have to do. Um, 
things like that. Why were you motivated to take the leap and, and start something that's very hard, like what you're describing? Um, because I see the end goal is so much greater than not starting it. Um, even if this doesn't become a massive success and sell millions of dollars a year like I wanted to, um, I've learned so much uh, in my journey doing this. You know, I think my, ever since I was a little kid, I mean, we were middle class, we weren't rich people, but we could have, you know, toys here and there and go on some vacations. Um, but we would still eat at McDonald's because my dad didn't want to splurge on, on anything, you know. We were saving all the time, and I didn't want to live like that. I wanted to just be able to buy whatever the hell I wanted and um, have some real money. And it'd be how cool would it be to be rich? You could go to any track day with any car at any time, um, race as much as you want, live however you want. I think money um, is very... Uh, helpful. It's a great tool. It's not everything, but it can make you do a lot. Um, it's like you don't need shoes to run, but it really helps, right? <laughs> Money's the same way. It just helps everything. So I just. It seems a, like. Sorry, for, from a very early age, I have drawings of me, probably in fifth grade or five, at five years old, I mean, saying I wanted to be a business owner, a store owner. Um, I wanted to sell like sports cards and Pokemon cards at the time because that's what I was into. But mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've wanted to sell stuff and I have sold stuff for uh, from a young age. Even when I was 13, I had uh, my eBay account, sell CDs and, and all kinds of stuff. And I've been using Craigslist for over, I don't know, 15 years now uh, selling stuff. And what, how I first started selling um, was uh, takeoff tires. I had realized that I was selling, I had sold every single takeoff tire I had used on Craigslist. And I was like, man, there's something to this. Maybe I should put this stuff on eBay. Um, and I started buying people's takeoff tires and selling them um, for like $100 a piece or even more just sometimes. I mean, you have like 20 laps on that tire. That tire is not trash. Some street rider, if it's a DOT, could use that for another three years, you know, and get great life out of it. So um, I just bought them super cheap, marked them up, and uh, I found out the best way to ship them through the ship right shipping carriers and bought the right boxes and everything, got all this, all the materials. And now I have seven rows of shelving in my basement and I'm trying to get rid of most of it because I've kind of um, branched off into selling the real parts and not the, not the dollar here and there stuff. So I'm really starting to, uh, to want to get everything that's under $50, take it out of inventory and maybe donate it because it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not selling super hot. And I have like 600 books for sale, uh, tons and tons of media cassettes and VHS tapes. It's like at, at the start, it was good to help get feedback and get a reputation. Uh, but now it's kind of ridiculous when I'm shipping $3 books and then I sell $2,000 worth of exhaust. It's like, is this really worth my time now? I don't know. Um, sometimes it feels good because I'm getting my business cards out there and it's another feedback. Uh, it's another review. Maybe they'll come back and buy, uh, um, buy something or watch a podcast from seeing my business card. I've had some people reach out and say, wow, your logo is so cool. Uh, thank you for sending me this and I'm going to check out your website. Like, awesome. Maybe, uh, maybe it works. I don't know. So, if you could have more of one or the other, what would you prefer, free time or money? Oh, well, you have to have a little bit of both. Um, but I'd rather have more free time. But right now, I'm just working as hard as I can so that later on, I'll have as much free time as possible. So I'm trying to front load it, I suppose. I think that's a really good approach. When I talk with my kids, I tell them, there's a certain amount of suffering that has to happen in life. You can do a bunch now and enjoy for a long time, or you can do a little bit forever. Yeah. I'd like to think about uh, like training. Um, I want to suffer as much as I can in training. So the race is easy, right? You don't want to suffer in the race and not train, you know, that's not the way to do it. Then you it's not going to go well for you and you're going to have a bad time probably. But if you work your ass off in training, uh, you're still going to work hard in the race, but it won't feel as hard if you have uh, everything in order. 
Yeah. So you are running your business where you sell a variety of things and becoming more and more motorcycle and car related. You work as a corner worker. You're dating. You're racing. What else is going on with you? Oh, man. I just went to my aunt's cottage. Um, went to there for, uh, for about a week. Um, on the first weekend, I did the Granton corner working with Wera. It did uh, Friday and Saturday, so that was pretty cool to be there. Um, and then on the Monday through Friday, I was at the aunt's cottage, and we had all my friends and, or my, all my cousins, my extended family, um, mom and dad and brother, um, my aunt and Gary. There was, uh, you know, probably 20 people there uh, with four babies and three dogs and uh, just a, it's, uh, a lot of fun. It's like our annual um, reunion type of thing. We've been going there since my mom was a child. Uh, it's been in our family. It's, we're very fortunate to have that and uh, um, share it as a, as a group. You know, there's so many groups that go up there now and use that as, a, as a, like a vacation spot right on the water. Um, it's just uh, so beautiful. Um, so that was great retreat. That's my really only real vacation of the year. And uh, thankfully, it's, it's only a couple hours from here, so you don't have to travel too far. Um, and then uh, after that, I did my first car track day um, at Granton Raceway. So I went back to Granton uh, from the cottage, we call it. Um, and it was only like 45 minutes drive from the cottage. So I brought all my camping gear just in case. But I went back to the cottage every night from Sunday night to Sunday night because it's so close. I mean, why not? And my, my family's there, so hang out for a little bit, uh, play some games and cards, whatever, watch some you know, TV, saw some Olympics and watch some, some movies, watch the stars, you know, uh, all that stuff. There's a fire pit and bonfires and, um, out there. There's It's in the middle of the country, so you can see the Milky Way and all the different stars going on. It's uh, pretty cool. So the car track day, um, I was trying to rent a, rent a race car. I made a post about it and uh, posted in a bunch of groups online and I couldn't find one at the time. So uh, I just went the rental car route and uh, I was gonna get go with the Camaro um, and, I, and I ordered it. But as soon as I did that, um, it got, uh, the owner said, oh, it needs more maintenance. I'm sorry, it's not safe to drive. I can't, uh, I can't just found this. So. Um, this is ninja um so i got a i tried to get the next one it was a bmw and uh and that didn't work out the same thing happened they said oh it's canceled it needs more maintenance and so the third one in line there weren't many cars available um so i got a i got a malibu and uh it wasn't the most uh high performance car but um it was fun as hell and uh i mean you just push each car to its limit right so i found mm -hmm. Midnight Motorsports, I think, was an organization. It wasn't run on midnight. It was during the day, but that's the name of it. And uh, they had beginner, intermediate, advanced sessions like they do for sport bikes. Uh, it was my first ever car event. Um, I did an autocross event many years ago with Audi, sedan, probably A6 or something. Um, but this was on a real racetrack, not a cone course. So it was, it was very different. And I know the track very well. Um, so it was no, no, uh, nothing to be scared about, about the track surface or anything. It's just, uh, learning a new vehicle and the passing rules of being in a car. Um, they have point to pass. I've never heard of this before. Uh, so in beginner, you can only pass in the straightaways by point to pass one car per point. Um, and then intermediate it's only, you can pass on the left and on, on uh, driver's left by point by only. And then advanced is just don't hit the guy, just like normal. Um, so it was very respectable, though, since it was my first car track day. I just went in beginner, and uh, the car was not that fast, so it was a fine place for me to be all day. I didn't have any. I didn't even ask to move up to intermediate because it just the car was fairly slow. But I was not the slowest guy out there. It was pretty cool. Um, there were some guys with some really fast cars that I was like, this guy's at a Corvette. Why am I passing him in this? you know, Malibu, but, um, everybody's at different skill levels. You know, I, I'm a fairly experienced motorcycle racer, but, uh, cars are a new thing for me, even though I have a simulator in my living room, it's, it's different, um, in real life. So 
it was cool. Great experience. I was very surprised at the, uh, the, the sound level of my tires. They were just all over the place. I mean, uh, as far as the volume, um, it's, it's, they're screeching at bloody murder every single turn because I'm on all season, like stock street tires, um, and front wheel drive. So it's just screaming everywhere. It's, it's normal though. Um, yep. Just, uh, you don't really realize that and you have to have the windows down at all times for, uh, for egress. If your car catches on fire or something, um, it was cool. It was a whole new experience. Have you ever done anything with four wheels? I have. I've had quite a bit of experience, and I just went to the Porsche Experience Center here in L.A. and drove all the new Porsches around the racetrack, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I have um, one of my best friends here is an exotic car. He, he has a, an exotic car club, and so he has some pretty exciting um, no-holds-barred type of stuff like brand-new McLaren, brand-new Ferrari type of stuff, and I get to drive those cars, but I'm not super into it, which for most people, if you're like telling them, you know, you can go and drive any car you can dream of at no cost and just have fun. People would like freak out at that opportunity, but I don't get excited by it. I feel like <clears throat> I've never enjoyed driving cars fast like that. I just want my car to be quiet and luxurious and get me from here to there as easily as possible. I, gotcha. I really prefer going fast on two wheels. Yeah, but is I did enjoy. As, um, is it not as uh, like dangerous? It doesn't. You don't get the wind in your hair as much. I think that's a big part of it. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I I respect the skill. I really do. It takes an incredible amount of skill to drive cars fast and to have that level of awareness of where all the tires are as far as how much traction is remaining, and it, you know you have to sense it in different ways and just like on motorcycles, anything like electronics packages are insane nowadays to keep you out of trouble. Yeah. Um, and cars are fast, you know, the lap times on cars are typically pretty much guaranteed to be faster than motorcycle lap times. But I, I, I'm like a, I'm like a two-year-old or like a puppy or something. I have to be run every day yeah. and it's not physical enough. I think for me to um, get what I need out of it. Um, if there was a way that I had to like steer with more of my body than maybe, yeah. but I, I think that's what it is for me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I like, I like the uh, physical aspect of the bikes because you can, <coughs> you can see what's going on with the riders. You can see the weight transfer and how they're riding it. It's uh, you can't see as much going on in a car and you only have a couple inputs in a car for a bike. It's your whole body's an input. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And at the same time though, um, <clears throat> Mark Rhodes, who you know, has switched. He did just buy a, in a sort of complicated transaction between me and another buddy, he bought the R1 that I used to race. Okay. 2015 R1. Yeah. Um, which uh, Dustin Apgar did all the motor work on for us. Um, and so um, he does have a race bike, but um, he's racing cars now in a circle on the dirt and he's super into it. And there's that expression, which is uh, with age comes the cage. Yeah. And so it might be a little of that. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, I, uh, I've heard that a lot. People don't want to ride bikes when they get older. You know, it was funny. I just randomly saw a friend of mine from the sport bike scene at the racetrack at the car, the car day. He was there with his brand new 2021 Shelby GT 500 uh, Mustang Cobra, you know, uh, it was, it was, uh, over 730 horsepower, I think, um, like 305 in the front tires, 315 in the rear, just super wide, um, took me for a ride for it. And man, that's a little faster than the Malibu. Um, <laughs> it's like three times as fast. And, uh, he was doing, I think, if you know, Grattan at all, just sub one minute, 30 seconds, I was doing like 141s on the Malibu. So it was, you know, quite a bit faster and, uh. It's like go, being a passenger on a racetrack is like a roller coaster, especially with all that elevation and there's the, the jump and all that. It's uh, it's wild. I hate being a passenger. I, when we, I wouldn't have taken that line, but it worked out, I no. guess. When we were out at Porsche, um, I've spent quite a bit of time driving the GT3, and I, 
I haven't spent much time in the GT3 RS and like their chief race car driving instructor guy came and was like, oh, I'll take you for a lap in the RS. I was like, okay. And I swear to God coming into turn one, I was like, he messed up. He forgot that there's a turn. He's not on the brakes that we're about to go through that wall down there. Does he need to know there's a wall? And when he hit that corner with that much speed, I was like, Okay, well, that shows the talent that you can develop. <laughs> He's like casually like looking over at me and talking, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Are you gonna break? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, <clears throat> yeah. So, what do you, what are your aspirations outside of business? As far as like, do you have aspirations? I guess like in your racing career, are you now thinking you want to broaden out into car racing? What What are you aspiring to achieve? Yeah, so um, I plan on, I would love to race Moto America for a, like a decade or more. Um, I want to get into car racing. I want to do karts. I think I could do all three at a fairly high level for road racing. Um, I just want to expand my knowledge of the sport, and those three are, are the three in my mind. But in the, in the meantime, because I can't afford doing that right now, um, I'm going to get into Supermoto. Supermoto, it seems like, uh, the smiles to dollar ratio is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you buy a 50cc, they race them at the cart place near my house, two miles away. And it's like uh, maybe $100 per track day. And there's no tires. You use very little gas. Like you're not going through parts if you wreck the bike. Um, so I plan on buying a 50. And then the next one would probably be a 400cc so that I can have mm-hmm. a mode of transportation. Because if you look at my Instagram, I just posted a video of my speedometer going crazy. And uh, I'm just, uh, I need a second mode of transportation. And I haven't had a street bike in a decade. So I'd like to get a new uh, new street bike. So something like a small 400, just for uh, around the town. But I probably will end up tracking that at some point because that's who I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then also, I'm, I'm planning on getting a 150 for training for Supermoto and maybe a 250. Um, and then I could use a 250 as well for like hair scrambles, maybe get into some motocross a little bit. Um, I like a lot of flat track, so I'd like to try flat track. Um, I think that's great for training. So, um, I'm just, I'm just doing the training route for the next couple of years until I think my business gets a little bit big, bigger and, uh, I can start doing the, the 600 class again. Cause that's really where I'd like to be right now. Um, I think it's a little out of. I reach to get into car racing at this moment. Um, but karting is about the same price as motorcycles. You can buy, I mean, I was just doing that kart racing league and one of the guys had one for sale for like $5,000 uh, and all the stuff you need to go racing. So um, it's like, man, I should, I want to do that too. I just need a couple grand and, and you're off to the races. Um, so, you know, I've uh, gone down this little path here of trying to find a race car and I didn't for the, this event I just did, but I found a guy who goes to Waterford Hills near my house. It's a, it's a racetrack. It's a, I haven't been to it yet. Uh, a little lesser known maybe, but it's been around for a while. And uh, I'm going to go there and hopefully, um, well, he said he's going to give me the prices for his breakdown on using his race car. I have no idea what he even has, but he's uh, through asking around. Um, he's a local guy that has one. So I'm going to figure out that if it's not unreasonably expensive, I'd like to try one out uh, maybe in October. I think they still have track days in October if there's not snow on the ground. Um, and then also through me asking for this car, I found a guy who has a, a go-kart um, to rent as well for East Lansing go, go-kart track, um, which is not too far from me as well. So I got a lead on a car and a cart to do to get into that a little bit more. And, uh, you know, even with renting the car and doing a track day and all that, it was still not that expensive. I mean, less than a normal sport bike track day because I didn't buy any tires. I didn't have any consumables to purchase, just gas. And uh, and it was pretty fun. Just need a helmet and some closed-toed shoes, um, long pants. There was no fire retardant gear. Didn't have to wear an, a neck brace or anything. Um, restraints are, I mean, just a seatbelt was fine. Uh, although, my left leg was really tired from just bracing myself and, and there was no clutch to use. It was like semi-automatic. There was just a button on the shifter up and down, which was not easy to find at first. Um, and uh, yeah, just bracing yourself. I wish there was better harnesses. 
I would definitely want a better harness if I was doing it more because it was just tiring trying to keep myself in place to steer and drive the car. <laughs> so let me make sure I understand. You got this car from like Enterprise or whatever? Something like that. So you just rent a car from like a normal car rental agency, take that sucker out on the racetrack. I'm sure you bought the full coverage Premium. just in case. Premium, baby. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Wow. So actually, I will say that by the end of the day, it was a little unsafe to drive. The brakes were just no, no <laughs> more brakes anymore. So I stopped a few sessions early and one of the quarter workers called me aside and was like, you got to check your brakes. I think it, we can hear it all around the track. It doesn't sound good. So I went another couple of sessions. I was like, yep, it's, it's no stopping anymore. Um, you know, I will say that I had a great time. The car was really predictable. There were no issues. But twice, I had just the tiniest little lockup. And since it has ABS in, on it and all that, I didn't mess with all the electronics. I didn't know, even know if you could turn that off. When I locked up those two times, it brought me to like 20 miles an hour. Um, I couldn't release the brakes. I was like stopping on the gas, like trying to downshift and just, it was just stopping me completely. I'm like, this is really dangerous. If the, thank goodness no one was behind me at that point. Um, but if there was, I could have gotten ass packed pretty good. Um, and that was the scariest thing of, uh, it happened once on Saturday and I did it once on Sunday. And after that, it just, I didn't want to start pushing on the brakes. I was just really, really easy on the brakes. I was like this, I don't, I was just trying to find the limit because it wasn't stopping that hard. And uh, just a little lockup, just, oh, just scared the crap out of me, man. Um, that was the, if I could change something, turning off the ABS, that would be the best thing, the, the safest thing for me to do at, at the racetrack. So. Um, <clears throat> you said earlier that you'd like to be racing in the 600 class and you'd like to race in Moto America. What's stopping you from entering and trying to get out and qualify in a Moto America race now? I'm just trying to be smart with my money. I know that a, a Moto America race is at least five to 10 grand to enter and all that stuff. You're paying for all the tires. Is it though? You know, I need a lot of gear right now. I don't have a bike. I'd have to rent a bike. I suppose that's on the table. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd need a generator and a canopy and a grid generator and some tire warmers, which I do sell tire warmers and stands now, which that helps. Uh, and I'm looking to buy a canopy um, that's ESR branded, because if I'm corner working at the track, I could put my canopy up and at the corner worker station, and that could be on TV and get all those mm -hmm. uh, eyeballs on the logo. So I think mm -hmm. that's something to do. And I'm slowly buying my gear. I have all my motorcycle gear for the first time in a couple of, since 2018, since, or not that long. But um, I sold my helmet and I just bought a new one for the car track day. So I'm, I'm, I have everything I need. Um, I just need a transponder, uh, some small stuff. But, you know, the very first year I ever raced a sport bike um, at my time at Barber for the Grand National Finals um, would have qualified for AMA Pro Racing by that novice year. So I have no doubt that I, I will be fast enough. Now we just got to get back up to speed, do a few track days, um, do a couple of wear races. And I think I'd be right there, to be honest. Um, I have it I have it written down in my room, all of the, the order of what I'm trying to do. But yeah, I, I, uh, I would love to jump that up further. It's just, it seems like if I go down the racing path, I'm not going to just do one round. I'm going to try to do the whole season. Um, I don't know. And I just don't want to spend a crap load of money right now. Mm -hmm. But if you have an opportunity to, I would, I would love to. It's uh, definitely what I'm trying to do. You know, do you know my friend Johnny Rock Page? Yeah, I know the name for sure. He's the ATM guy and running for president. He's the presidential candidate. Yeah, he and I are pretty good friends. And um, <clears throat> I'll start by saying that I have very low tolerance for people uh, making fun of Johnny. Johnny had a very severe brain injury which cost him his business, his home, his marriage, like cost him everything. And when you have brain injuries, they can be pervasive and a bit innocuous where people that love you and care about you think you're just acting like an ass. And they don't realize that it's because like the lights are on, but nobody's home some of the time. And so I have maintained my friendship with him over the years and he and I have been pretty close. And the guy... <clears throat> 
struggles to do normal tasks in society oftentimes. And yet, and yet, two years in a row, he made it down to Daytona and raced the 200 and got paid to do that as somebody who like is barely hanging around on the fringes of society for much of his life nowadays. And he got down there and figured that out. And if that doesn't inspire you to like realize that somebody as capable as you could do it, then, I mean, Johnny inspires me in such a big way. Um, and, and just seeing him down there in that race, I'm always like, and then he's beating these other people that I'm friends with that I care about. And I'm like, how he showed up, he's on some junk bike. He's like pumping his own gas out of like a jerry can, you know, he's got no crew on a rented mule and he just gets it done. You know, he's on like one set of old tires. The whole race does not change tires, doesn't have a spare set of wheels, nothing and does well. Hmm? All 57 laps on one set. Uh, all, All the laps on one set, both years and completely alone both times. And you get paid uh, pretty well. It sounds like uh, payout positions go out pretty far nowadays. They do. I ran the math on um, the the whole economics of him doing it, and it's profitable for him, (laughs) which it's like pretty pretty crazy. And so when I sometimes I use that to inspire myself to when I have moments where I think like, oh, I don't know if I can if I can pull that off or not. And then I'm like, well, heck, if Johnny can get his butt down to Florida somehow from living in SoCal right by me and, you know, then who knows, I'm going to try. You know, from doing this podcast, I've been learning so much. I hope other people are too, if they're still watching, but either way, like this is just so beneficial for me because I get to talk to people in the industry and uh, bounce ideas off of them. And it changes my probably my perception it changes my direction um because i'm like oh maybe it is possible no one said that to me in the last four years you know or whatever maybe i can get on this bike and uh be competitive again right away who knows well i'll tell you something interesting that i've been thinking about if you would have asked me back you know in say 2018 if you would have said hey is it a good time to dedicate yourself into the motor motorcycle industry, especially motorcycle racing, I would have said, absolutely not. Get out. Are you crazy? Sales are tanking. You know, every cool bike is not going to be made anymore. Um, this companies are struggling. It's not profitable. So on. And now, <clears throat> thanks to a number of shifts in society, motorcycle sales are like all time record breaking. <laughs> And it's really exciting to see, which gives me some optimism that we will see a good resurgence in racing, especially in club racing. Um, What are your thoughts on that? My mom just bought an e-bike like yesterday. Um, And it's it's an awesome one. It looks like uh, she'll get a lot of use out of it. She got like 10 miles yesterday. And now my dad is trying to keep up with her uh, before it's the other way around. So... Um, I think it's great. You know, the human power or pedal assist even world is, uh, is a great place that's in between a motorcycle and uh, a bicycle. Gives you a little bit further range. And um, the place she bought it from, they were saying, we can barely get these in stock. Like there's so many, um, we have like a wait list kind of thing for a lot of these models. Um, everybody being indoors and now uh, out of work or working from home gets to have uh, another hour or two, depending on their commute of uh, playtime kind of thing. So uh, people are exercising more. I think there's a huge, huge push for bicycles and mountain bikes and road bicycles and hybrid bikes and fat tire bikes are flying off the shelves. Um, And I hope that translates into motorcycle sales too, because that's where my love is. And I plan on buying four motorcycles if I can in the next year or so. So my money is definitely in the, in the industry and I'm going to try to buy all the, all of them brand new, which is uh, going to be a little pricey, but I think it's worth it. And I'm going to you know, have them for a while. I don't plan on just getting rid of them. Um, it'd be nice. To, I've never had a pit bike. I've never had a 50 CC. So I'm going to get my first 50 and then get the, you know, like I said, the 150 and the 250 for training. Um, I'm pretty excited about doing that and getting some extra. I don't know if I need an extra set of rims for each one or if I, I want to have uh, just a tire machine. 
and do it myself or some tire tools, um, just swap them out. But it'd be nice to have at least, uh, you know, a motocross set, a, a slicks for each of them, and then uh, maybe some ice tires for the 150 or the 250. Mm -hmm. Some ice racing because I'm in Michigan and we get a lot yep. of ice most of the year, it seems like. So uh, it'd be great to do that. And uh, there's a lot of guys I know who do it. Um, even Ben Lowe. AFT flat tracker is not too far from from here, so cool to go out with him and do some laps and learn some stuff. So speaking of that, when it comes to um, motorcycle racing, if you could be connected with anybody, who would you want to be connected with? Any rider or any any rider like that? I want to um, leave it kind of open. You know, I don't have a rider in mind. Um, I would love to try to get the, the world championship guys, um, Mark Marquez, or, you know, anyone who's won a world championship, Davizioso, um, you know, just uh, anybody of a world championship caliber, I feel like I can learn so much from, and your, your perception of what they're going to say is probably not what you think. Um, I just talked to Dominique Agater recently. That's going to be one of the next ones I post. Um, and he's, he's racing in two world championships. He's in the Moto E. Uh, getting podiums on uh, the electric class of MotoGP, and he's also in World Superbike, the Super Sport 600 class, and doing well and top tens. And man, it's it's exciting to uh, to to talk to someone of that riding caliber. Um, I guess I don't have a specific person, but yeah, it's just uh, anyone who will be willing to talk. <laughs> so, what about the people that would like to connect with you? Let's say that there's some random person that saw your uh, easy up that you don't have yet on TV and they're like, oh man, what is this? And they look through your stuff and they are impressed. How does that work for you? Are you the type of person where anybody who reaches out to you, you're going to respond and just have conversation and offer them advice or? Yeah. Yeah. I try to. Um, it's a little hard with all the messages sometimes, but um, I try to respond to everybody. Um, you know, if, it's cool. I just talked to uh, Billy Ball on here and he was saying, did you mean to send this message to me? I'm, I'm a nobody. Like I race barely in the amateur ranks um, and kind of do well. Um, why do you want to talk to me? And it's like, if you're a motorsports person, I just want to get your perspective. Even if you have nothing to do with bikes, but you have some interest, I'll talk to you even on this podcast. Um, yep. I want to get the, the people's voice and uh, see what people really think. Maybe try to change some opinions or give, uh, give some opinions that I have. Um, yeah, I, I try to get people into sport bikes. I would like to, and I have some uh, blogs half written right now of like, everything that should go into um, telling someone how to get to the racetrack because I didn't know what to do getting to the track. I still don't know how to get to the track to be like a race car driver. I'm still figuring that out. Or, like karting, and I've been in the sport for 10 years and I still don't know some of it. Like, how do I do this? How do I rent a car to go to the racetrack? Like, where's the real race cars that I can rent? And I contacted a bunch of companies that really do that with Porsches and all these different things. And they're th it's thousands of dollars. I'm not looking to spend that. I'm looking to do like a couple hundred dollars and see if that's available. But sometimes you just need to know your friend. And if you know nobody in the industry, how do you get started? So trying to start some things like that. And that's kind of what this is for because uh, this is easier than sitting down and typing for 12 hours. Uh, we can just kind of talk about it and, and hopefully someone will get some, some value from it. So you said a second ago that you, there are some opinions that you'd like to change. What kind of stuff comes to mind? Um, like driving, maybe on the street opinions. Like uh, I wish, I wish more people followed the rules. Like it sounds like a, like a Nazi thing to say, like you got to follow the rules. But, I mean, there's so many people driving dangerously out there who don't know what they're doing and, like, causing problems. I saw this one guy just in front of me, like, using, not even driving on the road. He was completely in the shoulder just driving there. I'm like, what? That's not even the road. What are you doing? And, like, people just don't care. They don't, they don't give a shit, it seems like. So, it just frustrates me. That's my uh, two seconds of grinds my gears. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you must have been driving in L.A. because that's what it's like every single day here. It's wild. Um, the sheer volume of cars out on the road and, you know, the way people drive and so on. I live out <clears throat> in a suburban little town and I work 
in the city and everybody out here in suburbia is like, oh, I hate going into the valley because people drive crazy. And I'm like, you guys don't stay in your lane here. You cross the center line like constantly. Uh, at least there, they might be driving fast in the city, but they're doing so accurate and precisely. So um, I, it's interesting with driving because if you survey particularly men, um, I've read that like 80% of men will say that they're a better than average driver. Well, that math does not add up. And so I think that there's a perception gap where people are not aware. I have a really close friend who hopefully never sees this and figures out who I'm talking about. That is an absolutely terrible driver. I will not go in the car with them when they're driving in they talk about how like driving is one of their passions. They love driving. They're really good at driving. Everybody else is a bad driver. And I'm like, it's you actually. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird here <clears throat> because I recently left California for a couple of weeks to go and spend some time in um, Utah, uh, Colorado, and Arizona, primarily in Nevada. And we have very few motorcycles in LA compared to like everywhere else that you go. We have Sturgis going on right now. And <clears throat> a handful of my friends are there and the guys from uh, Go Fast Don't Die are there. And I'm observing what they're all up to. And it's just like the passion for motorcycles is just everywhere, the freedom and the free spirited nature and everything. And here in LA where we can, you can ride a motorcycle 365 days a year. You just don't see bikes really at all and then i go anywhere else i'm in vegas or i'm in phoenix or i'm in denver anywhere else and their bikes galore and i find it really odd and hard to understand but it's just what i see i have no guesses for why everybody around me had cars when they were 16. i was the only yeah. one that i knew who had a bike and then a couple of years later like one friend got a bike um, and then, you know, it just wasn't, it's not the area for it. Uh, mm -hmm. For sure, it's uh, maybe good riding season half of the year, eight months. Um, you get a lot of cold weather and uh, 50 degrees on a bike going 70 miles an hour does not feel like 50 degrees. It's like negative. No. So yeah. you got to look for it. And, and uh, you know, I, I do see quite a bit of bikes, but I live on the highway and I, you look for, you see what you look for, right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're looking for it, it pops out a lot more. You know, going back to what you were saying about bicycles, I've really, <clears throat> this is actually Mark Rhodes' theory that I've thought on, but I'll say I'm stealing it from him. He pointed out that um, a lot of people that presently would be like age 35 and below did not grow up obsessed with riding their Huffy like so many people, you know, a little older did where it was like yeah i had a nintendo at home i had a coleco an atari whatever but you didn't play that for like six hours a night you know you had a little bit of permission to play it a little bit here and there we would get home and we would hop on our bikes and we had freedom that was the first taste of freedom we got as kids and it was an absolute obsession and we associated being on two wheels with freedom i'm sure that was you you grew up riding bikes i'm sure Oh, yeah. I used to go all around the neighborhoods, and uh, our neighborhoods were not easy crisscross patterns. They were all, all around, and Chris, you know, it was ridiculous to try to find a way back. So uh, me being a young kid, I'm like, I'm going to go that way, go north, and then try to find my way back a different way. And I get myself yep. lost and, like, go find a major road, and then, okay, there's no cell. I didn't have a cell phone then. So yep. you just go to the next major road, and, like, okay, I know this one, I think. I'm going to go that way now. Um, yep. And then that's how you learn. So I was always such a better navigator than my brother, who was three years older than me, because I did that all the time. I knew where North was and South was, and he yep. had no idea. He was just looking at his GPS. And I'm a, I definitely fall into that category, using GPS too much and becoming GPS stupid. So you don't know where you're going anymore. And uh, if even if it's an area you don't know, um, I don't know, maybe looking at maps and seeing what the major roads would be helpful. Um, because you rely on the GPS so much, you forget your turns, you're not paying mm -hmm. attention to going, you have no idea what exit it is. Um, and so you just uh, become dumb people on smartphones 
we need more smart people. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I think that because we've had this huge uh, revitalization of interest in bicycles in the country over the last 20, 30 months, whatever, 20 months, really, um, I think I'm left optimistic that that crossover that you talked about will happen where kids are now realizing, wow, being on two wheels is one of the greatest joys in humanity. And then they get a little older and they just don't want to like pedal around on that huffy anymore. So they get a motorcycle. And so I'm optimistic that there could be something there. I think one thing that's a challenge is that there's not been a ton of R and D in the industry. I think the majority of companies where, especially companies where motorcycles are not their only thing, like use Yamaha as an example. They made an excellent bike in 2006. They made some little updates to it in 2008 and then they never changed it again. And then that's it. Then it just dies. And so I don't know what we'll see next. I don't think we'll see a bunch of like small brands come up because they won't be able to produce a bike that any of us can afford. But I'm curious to see if, for instance, Honda or somebody might think, hey, here's our opportunity. Let's get in there and make a better product. I don't know. I haven't heard any new exciting announcements about anything, though. Have you? You know, I don't think uh, anybody is going to be developing anything right now. Uh, Workforce workforce is very uh, short right now in every industry. Um, and in every sector, I think it's uh, a lot of shortages. And so I'm sure they're short of engineers. And that's the, probably the last thing on their mind is, uh, is uh, developing a new bike. I wish it was. Um, and whatever brand comes to the forefront and seems to, to race well and does well in sales, um, usually sell, race on Sunday, win on Sunday, sell on Monday is the mm-hmm. motto. And uh, I mean, I went to MotoGP event probably in 2013 or 2014 in Indianapolis. And I was kind of looking around for rides and talking to people and talking to manufacturers and seeing what was out there. And I talked to the Honda rep and he said to me, if you want to win, don't buy a Honda. And I was blown away by that. He said, we haven't updated this bike in years. There's no support. Like you don't want to be on this bike if you want to be at the front. And I, and I was like, why is he, t- why would he tell me that? He was being completely honest, which I was thankful for, but um, it was, uh, it blew me away. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> everybody knows that stuff. And what's funny is this is my opinion. I'm only speaking my opinion. If you were to ask me and say, Hey, what's the best bike to own for fun? I would say Ducati. Yeah. No question about it. Get a Ducati. It's badass. It looks good. Blah, blah, blah. And if you were to say like, what are some of the worst bikes to race? I would say Ducati. You don't want to race a Ducati. You can't afford to. You're not smart enough to get the thing to work right. It's never going to be. Yeah. And so um, it is two totally different things. And I've wondered about, you know, for instance, like seeing some prototype MotoGP bike that'll never exist for you does seem like X brand influence your purchase decision in any way and i don't know that it does well i mean uh, think about it like this i've i've raced for many years and i watched racing for a long time and um the only bikes i've ever bought are kawasaki and triumph and they're neither of them are in motor gp <laughs> yep <laughs> but world long. Superbike has done a great job with kawasaki oh yeah they've been dominating for a while and that bike is probably closer to the bike that i could really buy right so maybe that's more important to me i would say yeah absolutely it is um but that takes us down a whole other road which is that everybody buys and races bikes that are too fast for their skill level at the time it's like in a classic american thing europeans would like laugh at us i think because they typically ride smaller slower bikes but they ride those bikes maybe faster you know yeah. Um, it's, it's in our nature, like, let me go buy my first motorcycle, ZX 10, <laughs> no problem. You know, uh, let me go get a race bike. Oh, I'm not going to be fast enough on a 600. I need a thousand CC. You know, it's just who we are as people. I and, um, misinformed. they don't understand 
the difference between riding a bike skill level and driving a car skill level. It is, it's like night and day. They don't even, I mean, they kind of compare, but it's so different. There's the amount of things you have to learn to be proficient on a bike um, are drastically different. Well, um, going back to the industry, I'll offer this insider information, which is that <clears throat> my company, State Farm, is betting on motorcycles and RVs and um, UTVs and stuff like that being a growing important part of our business based off of the research that our really smart people have done on the industry and on the size of the market. And so when I was listening in this morning to our CEO talking about how we're gonna double down on our efforts in that space, it made me feel excited, you know, because we don't do things not well. As a company, we do things really, really well. And um, that means that some really smart people have looked and said, hey, motorcycles are a significant part of the market. We should enhance our work to grow in that space and serve those customers that are into motorcycles. And so um, I've been pleasantly surprised by some of the growth in the industry that we're starting to see come back again. And I believe as a mountain biker, <clears throat> I would tell you that mountain bikes are like 25 years ahead in technology over motorcycles. People ask me all the time, like, why is it that you can get a sick motorcycle for like $5,000, but a mountain bike costs you 10,000 yeah. and it doesn't have a motor, you know? And, um, I just got a new e-bike and, um, I'm a huge fan of e-bikes. I have like a lot of different bicycles, but, um, what I see in the bicycle industry is that I think that there are bits of technology that will actually go over to the motorcycle industry in a great way. And so um, I think that one of those bits of technology is going to be some of the advancements in electrical power that we've learned from cars, from bicycles, from a lot of stuff. And so I think that I don't see myself ever, this is going to be kind of maybe sound crazy to you, but I think that I've fully closed the chapter on motorcycles in my life. Now that I've sold all my, I had like so many bikes, I sold all my bikes and um, I just don't see myself going back to that, but I'm still very interested to learn when, about what it's going to look like when good electric motorcycles come out. If you think about it, you go spend $350,000 on like the hottest Ferrari, McLaren, whatever, a grocery getting Model 3 will smoke you in a straight line. Isn't that wild? And it's so wild. And <clears throat> motorcycles have always had that advantage where motorcycle will destroy, like a $5,000 R6 will destroy like $170,000 Porsche in a straight line too. But um, imagine a world where, you know, you have motorcycles that can utilize that kind of application of power like a Tesla can, for instance, um, I think it would be something that could excite people. And then you add to that the growth in uh, self-driving vehicles that we're seeing. And imagine a world where you can get out and have like your Sunday cruise and you don't have to worry about drivers being distracted and constantly trying to accidentally murder you while you're on the bike. And then your bike is also out there looking further than you can humanly see and notices that deer on the road ahead and stuff like that. So I'm curious what it's going to look like. I previously thought that electric cars and self-driving cars would kill motorcycles, but now I actually feel motivated and inspired and excited that we might end up seeing a world where <clears throat> it becomes more of a hobby thing for Sundays, maybe than re your regular commute, but we end up with a product that's just like mind-blowingly good yeah. and fun to ride and exciting. Definitely have all the technology. It just hasn't been uh, put in one package yet, and uh, in a consumer way. Well, yeah. Think about a Tesla R6. Or, Can you imagine? Uh, um, man, uh, a one-wheel motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Those would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then all of the. I'm thinking, what if there's a dropper seat post on a motorcycle, or if there's a lockout suspension? I mean, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I, I see a lot of that type of stuff um, being possible. The only thing that's missing in this recipe is consumer demand. And so that's up to all of us to want these products and to spend money on them. And I think 
what you said is significant. The fact that you want to buy some bikes and you're going to buy them new. That's yeah. what it takes. Help, help the sport out, but also help me out because you don't also want to buy a bike that has some electrical damage to it. You know, my very first, uh, my second bike, my second bike had some electrical work um, and had a fire under the seat while I was riding it. Um, and that was, that was not cool. I mean, it was put out very quick. It wasn't a big deal, but it's like, what's, what's hot? What's, what's on fire? I can smell some, you know, pull it really quick. There's a fire under my bike. <laughs> yeah. It, that's the smell of uh, roasted nuts. That's, what's, <laughs> that's not a place you want to fire. <laughs> no, that's, that's a bad, bad little uh, pull off of the road there. But um, if you buy a brand new bike, chances are it won't do that. Uh, buy a used bike with somebody cut into uh, electronics or put some aftermarket on. Um, they probably weren't a pro mechanic and they probably didn't have it done professionally. Although there are some really cheap bikes out there you can buy used. But um, I'm going uh, the new route, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. So Eric, I've had a lot of opportunity to learn from you today and about the way that you've built this very motorcycle-centric life that is on your terms. I think it's all very, very impressive. I'm glad that I got to learn a little bit and I appreciate you sharing all that type of stuff. Yeah, well, thanks for talking to me for about an hour or so. And uh, again, this is the ericsmonracing.com podcast number 63, I believe. And it'll take some, a couple of weeks to get this edited and posted. Hopefully, I'll have someone editing these for me in the future. So it'll be a lot quicker. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll be sure to tag you and uh, we'll share it. Thanks for the time today. Keep doing what you're doing. It really means a lot. Your work is significant and we appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, and I hope to see you at one of the events soon. Thanks, Eric. See ya. Peace.